Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Dr. Andrea Gamboto. He's an associate professor of surgery, uh, University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, SARS-CoV-2, a.k.a. the coronavirus, the Wuhan virus, um, and a potential vaccine. So, Andrea, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me in your podcast. Yeah. So tell me, what what, uh, what specifically are you working on in, in regards to a vaccine for, uh, for SARS-CoV-2? Uh, we're working on uh, uh, potential vaccine candidates uh, for uh, COVID-2. Uh, we have been doing this now for many years. We are trying to develop a vaccine for uh, emerging infections. And, and uh, in particular for SARS, we were the first group to develop a vaccine in 2003. It was the first coronavirus vaccine ever developed for humans. Uh, uh, that, that vaccine was not, never tested because the First SARS disappeared in early in 2004, and of course there were no funding, no resource to move our vaccine into you know, clinical testing. Then um, uh, we, we work on other emerging infections, and in 2014 uh, there was another uh, coronavirus, the MERS coronavirus, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome coronavirus, and again we developed a vaccine back then. Uh, did some kind of preliminary testing in the animal models uh, and uh, then tried to to move uh, that vaccine into to humans. But again, uh, there was little or no interest to do that. Uh, and uh, and again, uh, now we are in a uh, few years later, we have uh, SARS coronavirus 2. And again, we, we develop our vaccine, a prototype vaccine. We actually developed more than one prototype uh, and we are, uh, uh, no, we have tested in the animal models and we try to move uh, uh, this vaccine into the clinic now. Hopefully this time will be the, the time that we can uh, test our vaccine into uh, people. We hope to do the, this in the, the, no, in the short period of time uh, because uh, no, we have, uh, uh, we are manufacturing now the vaccine plan for, for the clinical study through the FDA. Well, hopefully this time they won't uh, suddenly lose interest, not because of, uh, you know, the coronavirus going away, which would be nice, uh, but uh, hopefully they won't lose interest in general, so you're not stumped yet again. Yeah, I think this time is uh, real. It's the real time, so now now is the time to test those vaccines, uh, and, you know, our, of course, our is not the only vaccine out there. There are many other vaccine candidates. But again, no, we have some experience uh, with uh, this bug now with the coronavirus. I think you know, uh, we should have a, a chance to try our vaccine, which we think is uh, has some future that may, may be convenient uh, and maybe in a good vaccine candidate. What's, what's unique about your vaccine? How does it work? 
So the, the unique uh, is that, no, first of all, we developed several uh, platforms. So we, for many years, we work on adenovirus-based uh, vaccine, and that's now is one of the most hot platform for this particular uh, coronavirus. And we do have a vaccine candidate based on the uh, adenovirus uh, platform. Uh, but the one that we were, our you know, pipeline, the, the, the first one that we're gonna be testing is, um, is a subunit protein. And um, the difference between uh, the viral uh, platform and the protein platform is that the protein platform is uh, uh, it's safer, it's perceived safer and it's safer because it's like the influenza vaccine. Um, is uh, once you manufacture, you figure out the way you manufacture, streamline and uh, ups, uh, scale up the production, it's easier than other platforms. Uh, so it should be easier to manufacture in large scale, it should be easier to administer. And uh, the, the proteins-based vaccine, in particular, the, the way we deliver the vaccine, it's, uh, um, it's, uh, uh, could be uh, a potential stable at, uh, at room temperature of, of low, uh, relatively uh, affordable temperature, like four degree. And this is very important for, if you think the vaccine that needs to be uh, distributed, and use all over the world in place where uh, the refrigeration could be a, pro a, a potential problem or just the delivery, you may interrupt the, the cold chain where some, the most of this vaccine need to be stored. So these are not some of the consideration. And uh, so the way we try to deliver, one of the way we are trying to deliver this subunit protein vaccine is with the, with the uh, patches. These are microneedle patches that we formulate with, with are based on the sugars. So we dissolve the vaccine in sugar and we, we mold the vaccine into these microneedle patches. They can be self-applied and uh, um, they will, they dissolve, they basically have no, uh, they're they going to superficial layer of the skin so they don't penetrate a lot. It's not like a needle injection. It's just a, it goes in the part of the skin where there is no vessel, so there is no blood, there is a no a nerve, so there is no pain. So there is no blood, no uh, pain, and uh, you can uh, self-administer. So if it works, a platform like this is ideal, not only for this vaccine, but for uh, uh, every vaccine, because it is, uh, it's very, uh, it would be very easy to implement all over the world the vaccination with the, this platform. Yeah, I spoke to uh, another contributor that talked about the microneedle array and how it dissolves, and that, that's great. Yeah. The um, the protein, what is it? Part of the capsid? That's the, uh, or is it the spike protein? Like, what what kind of proteins are uh, going to be put into the microneedle array? Well, we have uh, the, the yeah, we have the spike protein, which is uh, the the protein that is used by the the virus to get into the cell. So we we use this spike protein and the spike induce uh, uh, antibody, and this antibody cross react, of course, with the real virus. And once they bind the real virus on this protein, the virus is blocked for entering into the cell. So they are called like neutralizing antibody because neutralize the ability of the virus to enter into the cell. So that you think this will be neutralizing, not just binding? Well, it's not 
the most of uh, antibody against the spike protein are neutralizing antibody. There are some antibody that won't be able to neutralize, but let's put them. Um, the, the most of antibody that uh, are generated against the spike protein uh, should be able to neutralize uh, the, the virus entry. Some may neutralize more efficiently than other. Uh, and that's, you know, it's still, you know, things that uh, people are trying to, you know, ourselves as well, try to understand uh, in what extent the binding antibody neutralizing. But there are some data that uh, virtually all the people that uh, develop uh, a spike antibody, those spike antibody have a, a neutralizing capability. Yeah, what, what happens when you have just binding versus um, neutralizing? What, what do you think differentiates the mechanism? Well, it's dependent of the protein. So this protein is used by the virus to enter. Uh, so, and there is an, a spot of this protein that is... Uh, is uh, pro the part that binds the receptor in uh, in uh, human cell, which is called AC2 receptor. So if you have antibody on the binding uh, uh, interface, uh, of course, that one are going to be more effective as a neutralizing antibody. But there are some other antibodies my, not binding that the interface, but can still inhibit the entry, the 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 binding of the virus to the receptor. So it doesn't need to be on the off spot. And uh, I, I would say 80% in my, the way I, I see envision the, the binding and the structure of the, of the uh, spike protein, I would say 70, 80% of uh, uh, binding antibody are gonna be able to neutralize the virus. And since when you give an antigen, you're not gonna, develop only one antibody. You probably develop uh, 300, 400 different type of antibody. Uh, 200 of them are going to be neutralizing. And uh, now you yeah. have a few, you know, 50 they want, but it's okay. There is other mechanism for, for which antibody can have some effect, immunological effect. So every antibody counts. Mm, okay. I didn't realize that. Um, yeah. Do, you, do people profile the antibodies that are produced and out of the population um, you know, what percentage are neutralizing, what percentage are binding? Do you get a distribution? Have you observed that? With no, you, you cannot really do that because now every time you, you immunize an animal or a person, you're going to develop different type of, so you develop a pool of antibody. And you know, if me and you get the same vaccine, we're going to develop, you know, you're going to develop your 300 antibody. I'm going to develop my 300 antibody. And uh, no, they are unlikely to be overlapping, but you know, I would say that two hundred of each of us are going to be a neutralizing antibodies. So the the, the things is that this antigen should induce in one hundred percent of the individual neutralizing antibody. Now the potency of this antibody. So how much neutralization you have depends on the level of antibody. So more antibody, more neutralization, and then depends how much virus you get infected with. So these are the type of things that you, know, you don't know until you test the, the, the vaccine into clinical study that determine you know, what's the dose of your vaccine. And first of all, if it's effective, and then the dose of your vaccine, because more vaccine, more antibody. And you know, then uh, uh, some of these antibody have different longevity. So the, some of antibody lasts for two months, some antibody lasts for uh, one year. 
So of course you want to try to develop antibody that lasts for one, two, three years. Longer, you know, it's better. And uh, so, but this type of information uh, cannot uh, uh, really be determined even in animal model because they are not very informative. The animal model. Uh, when it comes to, to antibody specificity, because you know every uh, species is going to develop pre prevalently a type of uh, you know, a group of uh, antibodies. But you know, you can generalize the, saying that since the response response is um, uh, polyclonal, so there are many type of antibody, the most of them uh, should be able to neutralize the virus. But this is the hypothesis and. And yeah, you know, yeah. it needs to be tested uh, then in, in the real. And there is no way really to test unless you spend the next 50 years uh, to, to dissecting uh, the, the immune response. So now it's, nowadays seem easier, but no, it's not worth to spend the years and years to, to try to dissecting the, the response when you can easily do it in a, a phase one clinical, phase one slash two clinical study. And that's what we- well, I, had, I had thought that, um, um, Sometimes antibodies, uh, they're able to allow the virus to change so that they actually assist where the, the virus gains entry through a different mechanism that's more effective and more deadly. I believe with, yeah. uh, I guess, dengue fever or uh, there's yeah. a couple yeah. of that, conditions. That, that, called an enhancement effect, but uh, it doesn't... What's it called? What's it called? Enhancement effect of an antibody. Enhancement there are some effect. diseases, uh, no, there is a, a historically a vaccine, the respiratory... Uh, a syncytial respiratory virus vaccine that was developed in the 70s. It was indeed inducing this antibody which were binding but were favoring the entry. And dengue is another virus that does the same uh, when it changes serotype, when it cross serotypes. So, but for uh, the, the, the SARS, you know, there were just one study, a couple of studies that shows some possible uh, enhancement, but it was demonstrated in vitro, never in vivo, and it was never clear, considering that there had been uh, hundreds and hundreds of vaccine study of coronaviruses looking for enhancement. And there are only a couple of studies that were basically not uh, uh, reproduced by other groups. And uh, so, and then uh, if you see the, 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 the so if, uh, Antibody that favored the entry of the virus would have been the case in the spike in immunity that would also be happening naturally. So people get infected and then the first infection, that's what happened in dengue. You get the first infection, the second infection is much worse and you know, people die in the, during second infection because you know, they get infected with one serotype and then the second infection with this different serotype uh, trigger this enhancement effect. The, the million people infected with the, with the uh, SARS, we would have observed clinically this effect of people that, that recover from an infection and then a second infection was much worse. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Do you and, think that's rare, this antibody uh, Yeah, I, I'm, I, know, uh, I work on uh, many viruses that potentially can induce ADE. And uh, I, I don't believe that this coronavirus is going to be one of those viruses that induce ADE because we don't have a single evidence. People have done some, you know, we have done some vaccine study where we haven't done challenge studies so far, but people have done challenge they uh, they have used a spike protein, so uh, 
they have not observed any any ADE in the in this preclinical study. The, the publish and the one that we know uh, the report and also the vaccine that uh, are in the earlier stage of uh, testing in humans apparently no they are not inducing uh, uh, enhancement uh, and the reason is we I'm saying we, we don't have the we don't know that that is not the case but the, the when you see some a, a vaccine moving in phase three uh, no you pretty sure that they have done some testing to uh, rule out uh, the enhancement. And if somebody else is using spike protein and it doesn't show enhancement, our vaccine or all other vaccines are not going to use enhancement. That's basically the, the, the message here. So what, spike, what have you learned from, from working on coronavirus vaccines, you know, through many different, for SARS and MERS, and, you know, what interesting uniquenesses are there to coronaviruses and vaccines to well, it's no, I will learn a lot. I learned a lot and consider that when I started in 2003, there was this new bug that came out and uh, it was, you know, the, the, the mortality was very high and we have no idea what was the antigen. So now we know, everybody knows that you have to use spike, but uh, why we choose spike? Because back then we test all the, the, the antigen that the coronavirus uh, added, uh, all the, the structural protein and we determined back then in 2003 that spike was the protein. Then we tried to use spike, uh, the just S1 versus the all, and we learned many other things. So it's been a journey, and you know, we learned a lot. First, we learned that the most important things uh, we learned that spike is the protein to target. But now, you know, we in some of our vaccine prototype, we are using a nuclear protein, which is also important. Nuclear protein because it gives you an immunity against the uh, is it, not an antibody immunity, but it's a cellular immunity, which could potentially cross-protect with other uh, future uh, coronaviruses. For instance, uh, the nucleoprotein of SARS-1 is almost 90% conserved to the, uh, the nucleoprotein to the SARS-2 that came out, uh, appears 17 years later. So we have developed a nucleoprotein vaccine based uh, T-cellular vaccine for SARS-1 which now is likely going to work for this uh, uh, immunity. What a, a T-cell vaccine would do is not to you know, the person that get infected will still get infected, but the disease will be much milder. It's probably it's not going to kill anybody because you have T-cell that can take care of the virus. Uh, uh, it's slower than, than antibody because antibody just block the infection. T-cell have to go and get the virus from inside the cell when the cell already being infected. But it's very effective mm -hmm. also mechanism. So we are now, you know, with this knowledge, we are combining this knowledge and you know, we, we have you know, one of our vaccines that contain both our antigens and you know, we, are, uh, you know, we are advancing all this product, all this vaccine, of course, one at a time, but you know, we have, uh, uh, you know, we have uh, the, the version 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. So, we are advancing also in the manufacturing of those products in uh, in house and uh, and uh, prospective. Are you um are you gonna so you're doing both a novel vaccine but also a novel method of administering it with the microneedles? Are you pushing ahead separately on both to make sure that this happens well, as we, soon we as are, possible? Yeah, we are using a, uh, well, we are pushing two different trials. One is with a, an adenovirus, which is classic. Uh, which, you know, I have to say, you know, I was the, the 
first one to develop an adenovirus-based vaccine. And I, since I like it, and I know that it's potent adenovirus, there are several limitations of adenovirus is gonna be one shot. So once it's for this vi uh, coronavirus, we cannot use for other uh, coronavirus in the future. The protein is something that we can build and it can become uh, the technology for future uh, coronavirus infection. It can be used over and over and over again because it's like a flu. Every year you make a new one, whatever. Every year it's not gonna happen every year for a coronavirus, but uh, every once, once, once it's needed, uh, you know how to do it uh, and what to do it. So, and the protein can be done over and over. Adenovirus cannot be done over and over. So you are limited to one shot. And uh, we do an adenovirus now we, because we think this is an important shot now. So if you have one, one shot, this is probably the disease that you want to use your shot. So, so we're going to use this, the shot uh, with adenovirus with the protein. And if they both work, uh, we're going to be happy. One work, the other doesn't. So we have used the best shot now. And then uh, we work on the on the other one. So, what's what's your guess on uh, how long to get through clinical trials for the, you know, for your vaccine, the SARS-CoV-2 one? Well, no, we are no, we are not a big pharma. We are just an academic uh, laboratory. We do everything in house. We in, discover the vaccine. We manufacture the the, the clinical grade vaccine. Well, we do preclinical uh, pre testing in the mice. Uh, and, and other animals if uh, are available. And then uh, we have to manufacture the vaccine. We have to uh, write the, the clinical study, organize clinical study, and then uh, put this through FDA, get it approved. So our speed is not a big pharma speed, but uh, I think we can come up with, uh, with the products which are uh, uh, like more uh, creative than big pharma. So we can take some chance that big pharma cannot. And if they fail and we succeed, uh, uh, no, we can be the plan B or C, or we can be the plan A if, you know, if uh, uh, our uh, vaccine show uh, an effectiveness uh, and an easy to manufacture, to administer, that you know, when we do this product, we always think that these are gonna become uh, potentially a 1 billion dose product. So we are having in mind that you know, we can, produce a vaccine that uh, can produce it only in 100 doses and that's it because that's one of anybody. So this protein-based, adenovirus-based uh, platform are platform that are robust and can be scaled to the quantity. So we, we don't have the capability here, but that's not our uh, goal now. Our goal is just to show that these are effective and, and they can be manufactured. And if that's the case, uh, is we're gonna handle, give this product to the big pharma and they know how to manufacture. And so just, we wanna make sure that we develop a compatible technologies with the big pharma. And then you know, they will be the one that will come and say, okay, I won't use your vaccine. Timing wise, you know, we open two months, one and a half months to be into the uh, patient. We are manufacturing as we speak. So we are releasing our products uh, and uh, you know, as soon as we release and we get the green lights, uh, we we should be able to to jumpstart the trial. Why is it? Uh, why does everyone say it takes years and years and years to to make a vaccine? What are some of the hurdles to it? Why is it? Why does it seem to take so long? Because there are many things that are uh, not uh, uh, that until you do it, you don't know what is uh, uh, is going to be the end point. So. 
when you make a prototype vaccine to be used in the lab for mouse uh, experiment is something. When you try to implement this product to become a, a, a clinical product and to become a scalable product, that is when uh, the problem comes. So what if uh, you make your vaccine and the yield of your vaccine is hundredfold less than a, a, a normal vaccine on which you, you just use a base your technology? Then becomes a, a no product because you know if you if you struggle to make hundred million doses for a, any vaccine now hundred million doses if you have a hundred times shield reduction you can make only one million uh, dose of vaccine so if that's the limitation you can, you don't want to produce you don't want to even take your time to investigate a, a million dose vaccine because that's it's never yeah. be the vaccine so you have to make sure that you can manufacture. And this particular vaccine is kind of tricky because spike protein is not the, the easiest protein to produce, it's not the, the easiest virus to manufacture. And the, 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 the hurdle, some of the hurdles that we encounter, uh, but we encounter some of those hurdles also in the MERS and the first SARS, so we knew that. So, but you know, some people may not be aware that you know, making an adenovirus that encodes spike, it's not gonna be the same of making an adenovirus that encodes uh, the hemagglutinin on influenza because the yield is going to be much lower. You have to deal with that, so you have to try to increase the expression of, uh, of the spike protein so you can afford a reduced amount of vaccine. You have to you know, uh, develop a, a, a way to deliver the vaccine that are more efficient. So if you increase the efficiency of 5%, uh, of, uh, uh, that make a big difference. So these are the type of development study that you have to do uh, sometimes people or companies jump start on production and jump and say, okay, we are the first, but then uh, you have to go back and you do your own homework to understand what was, uh, uh, what went wrong. And probably some of the player in, in this field and uh, they pretty soon they're going to go back to the lab. And you know, we are trying to take a little bit more time and just make sure that when we are there, we have a solid product. And you know, if we if we have and if the, if it works, and at the end, you know, we have use our experience to our advantages. But if uh, uh, you know, uh, we could have uh, used our vaccine two two months ago, and uh, you know, we develop, we publish, we had a trade, we did the first month lot. But we say, okay, let's uh, take care of uh, these two three things that we think are going to be important uh, down the road. We don't want to go back and repeat our phase one, phase two. We don't want to fail because, no, we were sloppy to begin with. So there are no little, no many, many things that make uh, the vaccine a, a complicated task uh, to, to perform. It's not as easy as uh, one, one can think. Uh, there are too many variables that needs to be uh, taken into account. And somehow you need some experience uh, to to deal uh, to prevent uh, uh, things to 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 limit the implementation of a uh, later stage for the for the vaccine. So, um, what what governs yield? Can you talk about that at all? Like, why would uh, you be able to, you know, I don't know, culture one uh, tremendously but not another? What what are some of the factors that go into it? So yield is everything. So yield is everything. So if you work, uh, if you do your own work and uh, you can uh, no, increase the yield of hundredfold, uh, 
of a product that is difficult to produce, then you are in a good situation. So yield here, we talk about you know, uh, 100,000 of liter of manufacturing capability that only big pharma has. But you know, uh, some of the vaccine capability now production is uh, like three, uh, 300 million dose, let's say for an adenovirus is 300 million dose. Now the problem is that when you do a, a phase one study, phase one slash two, you use uh, two or three doses. And this two, two, three doses, the lowest dose and the highest dose is one, 100 times apart. So then of course, if you can afford to use the, the lowest dose, now we have 100 million dose. If you have to use the highest dose, then you now you are square one because you have only one million dose and one million dose in six months you don't have a product you don't have the vaccine and so these are the most important the dose escalation that you do in this phase one study will tell you whether your candidate vaccine is a good candidate vaccine at the same time you have to work on different aspects of the vaccine you have to work on the on the yield of production. So can you increase uh, the, the amount? Can you make instead of 100, uh, uh, 1,000, whatever is the 1,100? Can you increase uh, the expression of, uh, of uh, the transgene that you put in this vaccine uh, 10 times more or five times more because that reduces the amount of vaccine. So if you combine two or three of these things, uh, you can get uh, uh, no, 1,000 fold uh, 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 reduction of the need of the vaccine. And these are the type of homework that you do for these particular vaccines. So you have to make sure that you can make it. And, uh, and uh, because, you know, making a vaccine uh, in, uh, in the, in the, in the uh, quantity that are not, you know, that don't satisfy a large population is not the, the, the goal of, for this particular vaccine. And then the uh, microneedle array, what are will that boost the uh, the efficacy of a given vaccine, or what's the data show so far? Yeah, so that's you know, the, the the rationale for us to using uh, uh, using the microneedle because when we were studying MERS, uh, so we we test the microneedle array on MERS uh, coronavirus. And what we found is that when we compare the just needle injection versus microneedle. The, the microneedle was, was much more potent and you need the, probably one-fifth to one-seventh of uh, the amount of vaccine uh, when delivered with microneedle when compared with uh, uh, no, uh, intramuscular administration of the vaccine. So that is one factor of reduction of, uh, of you know, five-fold, uh, you need five times less protein. And, you know, if you can afford, uh, no, if that will compare with with influenza, now influenza with two microgram given with microneedle, uh, you can immunize a human being. That means that with uh, with two kilogram of uh, this protein uh, uh, packaging in microneedle, if microneedle is uh, as effective as influenza, with two kilograms uh, you can immunize all over the world, all people in the world. So. Mm-hmm. A two kilogram is four pound. Four pound is not that much. It's doable. And uh, no, these are the type of number that we have in mind. So we have you now from two to 200, 200 uh, no, 400 pounds of vaccine. It's unlikely that I'm going to be able to produce in my lifetime because uh, you need the monster, monster incubating uh, uh, bioreactors. 
that they are probably not available in the world, given that the yield of production of, uh, of uh, production of uh, the spike protein. So spike is not the protein that you can produce in uh, like uh, an antibody, like uh, other protein. It's kind of a, uh, the, 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 the yield is limited, at least in our ants and, and other people ants uh, you know, that, we, that we know. Uh, so everybody's having some uh, difficulties in producing you know, a large quantity of uh, spike but no, we you know we improving day by day the, the production. We know that we can get to a certain level, and uh, but again we have to. On the other side, we have to reduce uh, the the need of this protein, and and this will uh, uh, no uh, clinical Great. trial will uh, will uh, tell us how much we need, uh, and then we can uh, you know uh, understand whether we uh, we have a, a vaccine. So we have a platform that is doable and. And again, you have to 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 buy so if, because if you, syringe delivery is not as as uh, different different than than micro needle. Of course, uh, syringe is preferable because it's an already implemented system. It's much easier to just put the the drug into the syringe, uh, and uh, uh, no, that's uh, that could be a, a better solution. At the same time, so if you want to. Uh, make package tomorrow 2 billion doses of vaccine, you're not going to be able to find anybody that can provide it 2 billion vials to vial your vaccine because there is no capability of producing anything in the billion quantity in the world. You're not going to find 2 billion syringe tomorrow. So that's the, the, the reality. So that's the, the advantage if you find an efficient the, way the, to the do sweet spot. You need to, uh, a million men. There's a sweet spot. A million may not be enough but uh, you know billions is too much a billion is too much it's too much for anything so if you want to buy two billion uh, can of a, a pop you can't find it <laughs> because the big brand don't produce that much so it's right. no billion is a big number it's easy to say now you can say billion dollar because it's easy you know we think right. that, uh, but the billion of a single things is a lot so it's uh um it's no so you have to develop device that are uh, no, uh, that you can manufacture, or you have to develop multiple devices. So one of the our vaccine uh, we with the plan is to give it in uh, with the nasal spray, and you know, if you can make a device that makes one hundred spray one hundred puff, so you can deliver one hundred vaccine with one device, that uh, make a big difference because from uh, no, one one billion you need now. 10 a million. 10 million is, uh, you know, is easy to end. Well, it's not easy, but you, know, you can handle that. So these are the type of the, the research inside the research. You don't not only need to develop a vaccine, you, de- you have to think how you're going to implement the, this vaccine because you don't want to be sorry in six months, eight months from now that you have a vaccine and say, oh, who's going to make it? How am I going to deliver it? And, uh, and then we, you look, looking another two, three years, uh, to maybe realize that probably the vaccine was not the best vaccine, the best platform. And mm. uh, so, and this is kind of experience that guide, you know, your choice, you know, going one direction instead of the other. Sometimes seems to, you know, one direction can be counterintuitive, but, you know, and if you had an, a particular experience going in the wrong direction, so you know at least what not to do. Okay. Well, very good. Andrea, what's the best way for people to uh, to find out more about the microneedle array and 
and about the uh, the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine as well. Uh, they just go to University of Pittsburgh, or what's the best way to, to find out more? Uh, well, they, they we're going to uh, probably publicize the trial whenever we will start. So it will become you know, uh, public. So, But we have a website in the, at the University of Pittsburgh that you know, uh, tell a little bit about the vaccine. And as soon as it will be starting phase one, we, there will be the call for a uh, for volunteer participate in the trial. Initially, it will be a limited amount uh, of, uh, of a volunteer, but then it, when we expand the study, we, we will need more and more people to join the, the trial. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Andrea, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.